Welcome to episode 28 of Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. I'm Paul Carr from True Media, and this week we're talking cricket. Yes, cricket, with Corey Von Zale of Cricket South Africa. Corey played internationally for South Africa shortly after the team was reinstated in the early 90s, and he was later the coach of the national team at the 2011 World Cup. He served as general manager of Cricket South Africa, and he's currently a consultant for the CSA. A quick note on my novice-level cricket background, just to add a little context to the conversation. I'm a lifelong baseball fan, so many of my questions draw on the similarities between baseball and cricket. I learned a little about cricket during the 2011 World Cup. I was with ESPN at the time. The tournament was on during the day, so we had the matches on in the research room. I was really instantly grabbed by the baseball parallels and all the on-screen stats and graphics that were there. So I pestered my fellow researchers, Alok Batani, Paul Kenny, with questions throughout the tournament. And so I came away with a basic grasp of the game, and I enjoy watching the major tournaments now. Plus, here at True Media, we partner with Stats Perform on a cricket analytics platform called ProVision, and that has also let me see the game from a data perspective as well. All that to say, whether you have more of an American sports background or a cricket background, I think you'll enjoy hearing Corey and I talk about the similarities of baseball and cricket, how cricket data has evolved over the past 30 years, what sort of tracking data is available, how teams use data in player selection, match prep, batting orders, in-game decisions, what changes with the shift from these test matches that last several days to T20 matches that last three hours, the future of cricket analytics, and Corey's favorite thing to do in a cricket match. We try not to get too complicated from a terminology standpoint, though if you want a quick primer on cricket, there is a two-minute video in the show notes, and that'll give you the basics on the sport. After talking with Corey, I'll be joined by True Media's Albert Larcata, our resident cricket expert. He and I actually visited Lord's Cricket Ground in London earlier this year. We'll touch on that and react and wrap things up. Without further ado, here's the expected value conversation with Cricket South Africa's Corey Von Zale. We're joined now on Expected Value by Corey Von Zale, consultant for Cricket South Africa, the governing body for the sports in South Africa. Corey, welcome to the show. Before we kind of get into the, the nuts and bolts of things, how are you doing with the COVID situation in South Africa? I think I saw cricket may get started in a couple of weeks there, but how are you doing with all this? Hi, Paul. Yes, nice to be here. Um, yeah, COVID, uh, obviously, like everybody else, it's uh, in lockdown at the moment and, uh, and quite frustrating, but... Uh, we do understand uh, the, the reasons why we have to be in lockdown. As far as cricket's concerned, cricket has now been classified a non-contact sport. So uh, we are lucky in that respect um, that we can then start slowly but surely start getting to train. Um, although we have to put a return to play program um, in front of government first before they can actually uh, approve that. Uh, but it's still, a, it's still some time, um, although I think there's some, some events uh, planned that uh, could just sort of get people back into, uh, into the swing of things. Uh, luckily for cricket, it's, uh, it's in our off-season, so it, it, it does buy us a little bit of time. Nice. So tell me a little bit, to set the stage for what we're going to talk about, what do you do for Cricket South Africa? Now, you're a former player, coach, GM, now in this consultant role. Kind of what's your involvement with the game for them? Yeah, so my involvement would be mostly around player development, player pipeline. That was my role in uh, at Cricket South Africa as general manager. I looked after the old pipeline, not just player development, but also coach development. 
and now in my my role as a consultant, very very specific on on coach development, and also in looking at at various competition leagues um, and and how we can make those things happen. So let's backtrack to set the stage a little bit more and give me, give everyone kind of a sense of how data has changed in cricket over the past 20, 30 years. So when you're playing, let's just start back in the early 90s, you're playing for South Africa. What sort of stats or information are you looking for prior to a match? Or maybe what was available to you before a match? You know, when you when you go back to um, the cricket South Africa in the in the 90s, when we just got back into international cricket, right. I think there was very little statistics available other than the normal statistics in terms of batting averages, bowling averages. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really what was recorded in those years. So, in in terms of having an, an understanding of a little bit more in depth understanding of what other players was capable of. There was not much to go on. It was it was only those type of averages. So, to be brutally honest, the, the team discussions was was never around stats. It was never around data. It was more around the ability of a player, and uh, backed on backed on perception and what you saw on 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 video. If you had an opportunity to to get access to a video, so it was it was very limited. Uh, access to data or or video footage in those day, in those days so you'd have a general sense of the type of bowler you were going to face or maybe some tendencies you picked up on video but as far as data it was mostly it was more from a scouting standpoint i guess you'd say than than data at that time right yeah so even from a scouting perspective we didn't have a data in those in those days the only real way we could uh we could actually uh, assess players was what you would knew mm-hmm. of a either playing against them or having seen seen them play and you know from a South African perspective um, having come out of the apartheid era you weren't even you didn't even have access to the mm. West Indies playing England um, so you couldn't even go on on that to plan and prepare so this is a large question so in the you know 30 years or so since then what's the progress been like as data has kind of crept into the game from your standpoint how did things kind of oh now we have this now we have this etc to kind of bring us where we are today so i i was uh you know it was very clear that uh when we, we had a we had a coach uh called, called english coach called bob Wilmer who, who stayed in south africa as well he played test cricket for england um, then became the coach of, uh, of of South Africa, and at that time, captain was Hansi Cronier. I don't know if you've ever heard the name Hansi mm-hmm. Cronier. And it was in his era that cricket in South Africa started to introduce um, a match analysis system. Um, and the match analysis system was developed by uh, the CSIR in South Africa, which is a, uh, a research company. He went to them and he said to them, I'm more interested in how many balls were faced, where it was pitched, um, where a guy hit the ball, that sort of stuff. I wanted to know a little bit more. We needed to go deeper. And they developed a match analysis program for, for Bob. And I was then um, an assistant coach to Bob. And so it was only the national team at that stage. In around about 1997, 99, uh, 98, that we started to to start utilizing this but only at international level 
it was only then when I came back into the club level, um, we, we then introduced, tried to introduce that into, into the various provinces or clubs, uh, which we then did. And that was our introduction to, um, to data, to more uh, granular data, in order to prepare a lot better for um, matches. And obviously those coaches that was inclined towards data and numbers, they took, took to it a lot quicker than others. And, uh, you know, for a period of time, um, there were two teams that really dominated our cricket. And it, funny enough, was the two teams that used, uh, used more data. That sounds like some of the team sports in the U.S. were the teams that were ahead and had an advantage for a few years uh, before uh, everyone else started catching up. So what sort of data is available now? I know in different sports, there's different levels of player tracking or ball tracking data. How deep does some of that tracking data get now in cricket? Today, tracking is just it's grown unbelievably. Um, I think the, the introduction of the Hawkeye system um, which is a ball tracking system that was revolutionary. Um, the the only thing with that is that it's so expensive right. set up, and uh, the result is that it was only accessible to a few teams in the world, and specifically international teams. But you know, when you look at data like that, where it was tracking ball, that was it's it's really good data to use because it is it is um, not dependent on the input of a human human being. It's tracking. Right. Um, that was great, and 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 that would give you immediate sort of data that you could use mm-hmm. within a game to say right, um, we can change tactics. The problem and the challenge with that is it was only up. Uh, it was only available for the select few. So how would you how would you bring that down to um, to provincial cricket or club cricket? It was just too expensive. We couldn't do that. So we needed to to look at other options uh, to get similar sort of uh, information. And over time, we started testing some other software analysis systems, match analysis systems, that was was cheaper in in terms of of a license. Um, so that we could spread it out amongst the teams in South Africa and allow us to really uh, um, look at data in a granular granular level, um, which meant that we needed to go and um, look at other sources, manually look at at data. As an example, in the twenty one uh, twenty eleven World Cup, myself and Graham Smith, the captain, we started looking at how can we look at the different batters that we are that we are playing against. And with the skill set that we had in our team in terms of the different type of bowlers, how did they fare against those different type of bowlers internationally? And based on that, we could actually select teams and and have our uh, tactics prepared. So it's really evolved over the years to a point now where we now have access to the ProVision system, which is, in our mind, one of the most um, informative systems, most granular systems. You can ask any question. It, it really depends on what you want to get out. It, it, it'll give you all of that information. But like everything in life, you know, data is data. What you do with the data, that's important, but at least with, with software now. So, so software is, is, is slowly, and I'm saying this slowly because over time it has really slowly progressed in the South African domestic scene um, internationally a lot quicker 
but uh, domestically a lot slower. Uh, so several questions off of that. First, you mentioned the Hawkeye system, which I think in the U.S. especially we're familiar with from tennis. They're joining Major League Baseball this season as part of MLB's StatCast stuff. Is it as detailed as it is in baseball? I mean, are, are they tracking things like launch angle or exit velocity off the bat or the spin of the ball coming out of a bowler's hands? How granular, how detailed does that Hawkeye data get? The thing that I've seen is that that they can get as granular as that. Um, whether that's, you know, as important in cricket analysis as it is in cricket coaching, mm-hmm. that's a different story. One would be a lot more... Um, informative if it was a coaching so how many velocity you know how many revolutions does a spinner get on a on a ball because the more revolutions the more it's going to turn mm-hmm. similar to maybe a curveball in, in in baseball yep. that would be a, a nice uh, either a nice uh, broadcast tool mm-hmm. or it would be a, a yeah a, a commentating like tool but from a analysis point of view not not much value but certainly a lot of value from a developmental point of view right that makes sense it's a lot of baseball teams will use the things like spin rate to say hey you have really good spin on your curveball you should throw it more or a little differently stuff like that so you talked about how 30 years ago there wasn't a whole lot of prep from a data standpoint for a team or a coach before the match so what does prep kind of look like now beforehand whether it's video or data or provision or, or something else just what's kind of the general prep process for a team at a high level now yeah so so it's also gone through a little bit of a cycle um you know where at the start data was available then everybody came in for analysis maybe a post-match analysis how did we fare um, based on the data and then there's the next one is preparation phase how do we see these uh these batters or bowlers in terms of their stats what's their strengths what's their weaknesses so how do we use data to, to prepare from in, in that perspective? So certainly from my perspective in the teams that I prepared, we, we would use a feedback session. And then later, before a match, we would, we would do a preparation session. And then the preparation session would probably be dealt, uh, broken up into a batting and a bowling. And it would be uh, you know, accompanied by video footage. A lot of our data is saying, that this guy's his strength is in bowling a really good line or really good length because we make use of the pitch and the pitch conditions are important. You know, So yeah. what pitch are we playing on? Is it a slow pitch? Is it a quick pitch? Is it a bouncy pitch? So all of that will have an impact on the length that we bowl, the line that we bowl to a certain batter. So there's a lot of things that we need to consider. And then we also look at what's his strengths and weaknesses. And based on that, we would have a picture of that, of that player and what our tactics would be towards that player. So in the past, just when the analysis sort of started, the coach had to take responsibility for that. Whereas now internationally, you have your analysts that are really focused and I suppose trained on, on seeing trends um, and understanding how he can then assist a coach in in the tactical preparation but it's it's gone and sort of evolved it's some teams have gone overboard and then players got a little bit bored <laughs> the attention span of a player and i was a player myself is is short so you need to make sure that all of that data is condensed into something meaningful you mentioned earlier 
uh, how you might adjust strategy in match based on data. I know sports tend to have a variety of how much data or technology you can use in matches. You know, for example, in the U.S., you know, baseball is very limited. You can get almost no real-time data in a dugout. The NFL, you know, a little bit more. There's some video you can use, but there's still not a ton of things like that. So, so what sort of data do teams have access to during matches? I realize this might vary a lot, competition to competition. Generally speaking, what, what can teams look at as far as things are going on in this match that's happening right now? So I think similar to what you said to a baseball is that in the dugout, not a lot. In the match, a lot of tagging is happening. Mm-hmm. A lot of input of data is happening, but very um, slow conversion of that data into some, some trend or whatever. So, so players are still, or coaches are still very focused on, on what they see, um, how the game is unfolding. It is only in, 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 in data like the Hawkeye data that you could immediately see, but in a session that I've just bowled, the, the length for this wicket, I spoke earlier about how important length on certain wickets are. The length mm-hmm. to this wicket, we are just hitting too many balls. There's a, I know there's the one graphic that Hawkeye shows, almost like a mountain, a red mountain, where yep. they show there's a high velocity, you know, a, a high number of balls. So if you see that, you can immediately, you know, transcend that or change that into, da- into uh, tactical changes, mm. but it's not accessible. So most of the data in the dugout is about tagging. How do teams use data defensively? In baseball, for example, shifting has become a really big thing over the past few years. Defensively, how do cricket teams use, and we see the, the, I think they call it a wagon wheel graphic, you see a lot on TV. How do teams use that to position fielders? How much do they shift from batter to batter depending on the situation? Yeah, quite a lot. I think the wagon wheels was one of the first data sets that we actually got, you know, whether we got it from, uh, from, from a, a data source but, or from the scorers, which mm-hmm. was in a way a, a, data, a data source. But the wagon wheels are, are a very good indication of the strength of a player. You might favor the leg side in cricket. So you've got the offside in cricket, the leg side in cricket, yep. and he might be favoring the leg side. Um, the other one might be favoring the offside or behind the wicket, using a lot of short balls to, to score. And based on that, captains would, and, and, and in preparation, fields will be set very specifically because of that type of wagon wheel uh, uh, performance. And, and for every batter, it, it can change from batter to batter, from ball by ball, based on, on who's facing and, and who's coming in next. Uh, the moment he comes in, you might see the, the field change because of, of the strength or weaknesses of a, a particular batter. So that, that sounds very similar to baseball. So if you know that you're bowling a certain batter, I might get the terms wrong, but you're bowling him like, away or to the offside you might shift your fielders that direction because that's the where you're trying to get him to hit the ball basically absolutely so so your strength as an away swing bowler like a, somebody that curves the ball away you would then have your field placed on the offside maybe in the slips it might be a really uh, um in england conditions you want to be a lot fuller you'll have more slips you want to keep open the uh, the cover area to entice him to go and play there because if he does that and the ball swings away you get some edges to the slips. So yes, all of, all of that uh, very important in the tactical preparation. In the roles you've had as a, a coach and GM where you're involved with choosing the players, especially at the national team level, choosing the players that are going to be on the team and then in the lineup, what is the role of data kind of in gathering the team? Because I, I feel like we've seen in these international sports, 
it's kind of changed the way soccer teams especially maybe are able to track or, or value different sorts of players who are playing in different leagues and whatnot. How does data kind of come into that team selection process for you if you're in that GM type of role? Data is critical there. It's uh, important. Um, but again, as the data has evolved or the, you know, the breaking down of data and the granularity of the data has, has, has evolved over the years, so has, has selection also. And then also the formats. So in the past, you would look at, at an average of a player and you would pick on average. But some players would average have a good score against weaker competition um, mm-hmm. and against stronger competition but but on average he would be okay right uh, where today we we break that down we say so give us how he how he averaged over you know against the best competition mm-hmm. in the most precious situations show us that and we can then uh, use that in in selection this now makes a lot more sense in terms of what we are looking for, what type of player we are looking for, and how that player is handling pressure. Because pressure is what international cricket is about, pressure and handling pressure. So how can we use data now to show us that type of, uh, type of information? Otherwise, it's all, it's all sort of um, um, hidden in, in, in data. You know, you can say he's a good player because he averages 60, but does he really? Hmm. What about from a... I'll call it a batting order perspective. So in baseball, like understanding data better has caused managers to move hitters up in the lineup. Like Mike Trout is the MVP. What about a third or fourth not too long ago? And now he usually hits second just because it gets him another at bat every few games and things like that. So how, if at all, has more data and, a, as you said, a better understanding of the data, how has that affected maybe a batting order in cricket? So I think in cricket, um, a batting order is less affected by data than than in the format so mm-hmm. so data would be very important to change batting orders or batters uh, bat them in a different um, order in 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 the different formats so just to explain what i'm what i sure, mean yeah. is that in cricket in, in 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 the first class the longer version of the game you will have a batter that is a free scoring batter but a free scoring batter against the new ball could be a very risky um, um, tactic. He's, he, the ball swings a lot, so the risk of him getting an edge and getting out is a lot more. So he doesn't okay. get a number of times to bat, each, so it's just a lot more. So they are, they are guys that are a lot more skilled at, at seeing off the new ball. You've seen the cricket ball uh, with a shine, and, and once it's new, once its shine gets off, it moves around a, a less. Mm-hmm. Um, that gives the opportunity for somebody that comes in at number four um, in the batting order um, who's a stroke maker to be better equipped at that stage. Whereas the guy that opens the ball batting, he might have a lower strike rate, but because he leaves the ball a lot more, he's a lot more disciplined in the way he plays. And he then, um, through that, he sort of wears down the bowler, gets the ball old, and then your player with a higher strike rate um, comes in and he can then take the game forward. Hmm. Whereas you want to, in the shorter format of the game, the 20 over format of the game, you might want that person with a risky uh, um, style, the free flowing style. You want him up front um, because um, the game is a lot shorter. You want to get him in there and let him score as, 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 as much as possible, as quick as possible. And, and so in a different format, because of the same reasoning, he would be batting up higher. Okay. And, and you, would, you would use data 
because the strike rate of that player would be a lot higher than the strike rate of the of the opening batter will be will be good for to be an opening batter in the T20. I hope it makes sense, but uh, yeah, no, I think it does make sense. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking if if baseball games in the U.S., which are normally nine innings, if they were three or four innings, then I think you would see the same sort of thing where you move the best hitters up because that extra at bat or two, as, as we call it, would be that much more important. So it sounds like a, a similar sort of thing there. Yeah. The test matches are, you know, several days, T20 matches, yeah. several hours. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned how you might move your better hitter up in the shorter matches. Is there anything else you might change from an approach, whether it's as a bowler or a batter to take advantage of the different formats? Yeah, um, in the different formats, there's a whole lot of different rules as well. Mm -hmm. So your field placings will be a lot more different because in in test matches you are you are free. You have to place uh, place fielders right. almost anywhere you want, um, yeah. except for one exception where you can't have them behind behind the guy's eyes more than three behind his his okay. eyesight. Um, but um, Whereas in one-day cricket and specifically in T20 cricket, there's a whole lot more uh, restrictions in terms of how many players might be. Because there you have a circle at about 20 yards radius. And then I mean, you've seen that in the one-day series. Yeah, right? the power play stuff. And exactly. So some players might be outside in the power play. So, so, so all of that changes a whole lot of things. You know, um, my, my tactics in terms of how do I bowl the last five overs of a match my, my tactics in terms of the length that I bowl, the lines that I try and bowl, my field placings to those lengths and the lines, all of that changes significantly. Whereas if I have the new ball, I just starting, starting up and the wicket might be a little bit fresh, I would be a little bit more conservative in my pro or um, uh, traditional in my, in my field setting with slips right. and so on. But then batters will take you on. And then immediately, um, because you only got a couple of, that you can have outside of the ring, batters will take you on. They want to try and capitalize on the fact that there's only two guys out the ring want to go over the top. So again, you need to, you need to uh, adjust your lengths to that. So there's a whole lot of things that come mm -hmm. into play uh, in the different formats. In baseball, one recent trend is basically home runs are up. Players are hitting a lot more home runs. They're swinging for the fences a little bit more in general. I, I sense there's a little bit of that in cricket as it shifts toward T20 type of formats. Would you say that's a trend? Like the way, just kind of the general approach of a, a batter trying to swing for the fours and the sixes more? Definitely. I think that the, you know, the advent of the T20 format has just exploded the skill set of, of players. I think there's another thing is that the young players seem to be a lot more free in their, free mm. in their approach. You know, they... They're not as conservative as a lot of us were when we when we started playing. We were we were taught in the English way, you know, you got to be a gentleman, right? Uh, and and very correct and and so on. And and that's not so anymore, you know. It's it's a very more aggressive approach, which then obviously forces forces bowlers to be thinking a lot more defensively, and uh, and that changes tactics all the time. And with that, data is is a helping. Tremendously, and with data being broken down even further, and I'm I'm just uh, referring back to the ProVision tool, mm -hmm. where you can now um, you can now analyze how many dot balls or a Yorkers a guy has bowled. Now a Yorker is bowling at a guy's toes so that he can't freeze arms to hit the ball. How many uh, Yorkers a guy bowls? How many does, times does he executed? What does that relating to runs per over? 
because that's quite important. Uh, what's his strike rate? How many wickets does he get at that? And so you can you can actually break it down into the phases of the game mm. to see who's really good at that phase of the game. And because uh, you want you want an all rounder, right. um, but at the same time, if that latter end of a game is so important, then you want somebody with a serious skill set at the latter end of the game because a lot of games is won or lost in the latter end of a T Twenty match. You mentioned younger players uh, coming in playing a little differently. Do they look for data more or differently? Like, I know, generally speaking, in American sports, you know, the younger players are more data friendly or accustomed to seeing data on TV or the internet or whatever. So they tend to be a little more interested. Uh, anything like that in cricket where the younger players come in wanting more information, they just kind of absorb it more and differently than maybe a veteran? Yeah, definitely. I think there's two things here yeah, over time. Players, younger players are more interested in data. It's just what life today is, mm-hmm. is about a lot about data. But within that, there's also, there's also those who just do not worry about data and just want to play, just want to eat the ball. You know, one of our best players in the country at the moment, a guy called uh, Quinton de Kock, who's, um, who's a free-flowing, fantastic player, scores a lot of runs, not interested in data, hmm. just interested in seeing the ball and hitting the ball. And uh, then there's others that are really interested in in data, in, in, in specifically in preparation, um, looking at data very closely. So what do you think's next for cricket analytics? I mean, what is something maybe you wish you had or just generally, you know, what's the direction that you think uh, might be going? What might the future hold for uh, the game and data? Yeah, so so I'm a I'm I love data. I love numbers. Um, um, I love what it tells me in terms of 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 uh, of tactical decisions, selection, um, all of that. So I just think data can be used um, a lot more in terms of those areas, not just in terms of uh, analytics and preparation. Um, and in match, I think a lot more can be done for in match immediate decision making in cricket um, specifically. I think it happens in rugby. I think it happens in soccer. Mm. I think it, it can happen in cricket. And I think we are moving towards that. But, you know, the cost does, does hamper it a little bit to bring it down to a club size, uh, to club level. I think data in, in developing cricketers, in identifying talent, I know in the U.S., I've been in the U.S. to, to sort of look at uh, Boston, uh, Red Sox. Uh, we've mm-hmm. been at the Yankees. Uh, and, and we understand the scouting systems there. Um, in South Africa, I'm seeing that that's going to happen a lot more in terms of making sure that, that, we, that we have a track, a passport, if I could call it that, of, yeah. of a player from early identification to... Uh, to, to its in developing into a into a fully professional player, um, and and similarly selection is going to be based a lot more on granular data, a lot more specific. So I'm I'm, I'm sure that that's going to happen as as we get better and better software programs um, and data available. You know. Nice. No, I really appreciate you kind of shedding light on just the state of analytics and cricket, how they use data, et cetera. We'd like to wrap things up with our playing favorite segment, which is just kind of running through a few of your, of your favorite things, a lighthearted way to finish things off. So tell me what your, what's your favorite number and why? Number 11, probably because it's my shoe size, but that's, <laughs> I, I, I thought about that a bit, you know, and that's, uh, it's probably, I don't really have a favorite number, but let's say legs 11. 
All right, we'll go with it. Uh, who, who is your favorite athlete growing up? Doesn't have to be cricket, can be, could be any sport, but who is uh, like that guy you maybe had a poster of on your wall, your favorite athlete as a kid? Yeah, I think Muhammad Ali, you know, mm-hmm. was uh, my, one of my favorite actors. Um, I had some local local um, uh, favorites and rugby players, uh, a guy called Debet Russ, but nobody in America would know him. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but Muhammad Ali was definitely uh, my favorite sports person. Uh, favorite sporting event that you have attended or in your case participated in might be more relevant. What's the, the favorite thing that you've been at in person? Well, most memorable event that I attended was at Manchester United watching uh, at Old Trafford um, with my two sons. Um, they love Man United. I've grown up in the house and, and watched Man United. So that was a fantastic event to just watch. Um, and then in participating was probably when uh, we've, we as a, as, a, as a very small club or province won our first, uh, our first uh, title, our first mm-hmm. uh, trophy back in 88-89 uh, when we beat the mighty Western province at that stage. And, and it was just a, you know, like a fairy tale uh, yeah. day. And, and it was at their, at their ground as well. One of the nicest grounds in South Africa. I don't know if you've ever seen the Newlands Cricket Ground. Fantastic ground um, with Table Mountain in the background. So, yeah, fantastic. What's your favorite thing to do in a cricket match? I mean, the highlights from my angle, you know, there's a six, you can take a wicket, you can make a catch. Do you have a favorite thing? Like this is the one thing I love doing more than anything else when I was playing. Yeah, I think taking a wicket was, was, uh, and taking a wicket is also, um, is how you take a wicket, you know? Mm-hmm. So you, you could take a lot of wickets, but uh, there's, there's certain wickets that really stand out because, it it was a tactical decision. You you did something really well and it worked. Um, so when when something like that happened, you took a wicket um, doing something tactically right. Um, that was that was that was nice. That was exhilarating. And finally, do you have a favorite place or thing to do in South Africa? It's a big country, but if someone's say, hey, I'm going to come to South Africa, some somewhere or something that you would point that person to to put very high on their to-do list? So obviously for me, I mean, there's two things in, in my life that, that I really love. The one is the, the bush. And where I live in Pretoria, we're not far from that. So we like to take our, our car and just drive into the bush and, mm-hmm. and at night just watch the sunset and with fire, with a fire in the bush and, the, and, and hearing the the wild animals. Uh, if you come to South Africa, you have to experience the bush. I would always, always recommend people to come to South Africa to come here and experience the bush. And secondly, go down to the Cape, uh, Western Cape, where it, it really is beautiful. And I go to a place, a little place called Melkor Strand, which is uh, on the western west coast. What's fantastic about this is when you sit on the beach, you actually look um, across um, the bay and you see Table Mountain, one of the best views you can see in the world. Nice. Very good. Good good pictures to end with. So, Corey Van Sale, consultant for Cricket South Africa, thanks for joining us here on Expected Value. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me. Back in the True Media Studios, I'm Paul Carr. Thanks again to Corey Von Zale of Cricket South Africa for talking to us here on Expected Value. I'm joined now by Albert Larcata, True Media's resident cricket expert, though maybe that's not saying a whole lot. Albert, let me ask or start by asking you how you got into cricket originally. I think it was about the same time I did, 2011, 
uh, World Cup. That's right. Yeah. I, by the way, I, I can hear the laughter from England when you call me the oh, yeah. uh, cricket expert here. If ben or Frankie, if you guys are listening, that was Paul's words, not mine. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a relative term for sure. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, it was. It was the 2011 Cricket World Cup. There, a former colleague of ours, uh, Alok Patani, I sat right yep. next to him. We were on the two of the founding members of the ESPN analytics team, and we were not doing cricket analytics, but when you get to work at 9 a.m., 9.30 at ESPN, there's, you know, there's TVs everywhere. So it's better if you're working afternoon, nighttime when you have the American sports. But at that time, the only sport live was cricket and it was the World Cup. So Alec was very into it. And so I just started turning it on and watching it. And basically, every two minutes, I would just ask him a dumb question. <laughs> yep. Like, wait, what just happened here? Why did this happen? And what did the announcer say? Right, exactly. And so that went on for, I mean, two or three weeks for the sort of tail end of that tournament. And I mean, ask Alok. By the end of that tournament, I, I kind of yeah. knew my way around. I could follow the game a little bit. A couple of them were pretty exciting there at the end with some chases that, that came down to the wire. A- ever since then, I, I've been a casual fan. World Cups, IPLs, some of the bigger competitions, but it's a fun sport. Yep. As I said in the intro, similar boat for me with Alok a little bit, Paul Kennedy, another researcher who I bugged with questions for a month or so. Talking with Corey, you covered a lot about cricket analytics and how they use data, things like that. What kind of stood out to you from this conversation? Yeah. So his, his sort of insight into where kind of like the state of cricket analytics is now, it was very interesting. My takeaway was it, it really feels like cricket given the similarity to baseball that, that you and Corey went over quite a bit, it's very much like just ready to kind of have a blowout. The data yeah. is becoming more available. Uh, it feels a lot like baseball more like 10, 12 years ago. I think it was 2008, 2009 when the sport vision um, sort of XY pitch data uh, became publicly available and then you had, you know, writers at fan graphs and baseball prospectus and all these places starting to, get the data, create content out of it, create models out of it. And that's when you had that boom in the early 2010s when a lot of them got hired by teams. Mm-hmm. So that it feels like that's sort of right where cricket is. Maybe, you know, yeah. call it 12, 15 years behind baseball. But given the similarities, given the structure of the sport, it's quite easy to analyze compared to the more flowy sports like soccer, football. It's definitely a sport where more analytics can be done and it's not terribly hard compared to other sports. Yeah. And I could see cricket catching up with baseball faster just because a like companies like Hawkeye have done this for other sports. And so, you know, I talked to Corey briefly about you know spin rate. And so cricket is uh, where baseball was 10 or 12 years ago. You know, baseball wasn't looking at spin rate then like they could catch up faster just because the data companies and providers are kind of there. Uh, analysts even have had experience seeing some of this data in different capacities. I think Corey hit on one of the challenges overall for cricket analytics, and it's just availability. There's so wide a discrepancy uh, in, say, the IPL and you know a county league in England or something like that. Like the mo- just the money is different. And that'll be the challenge to get the technology, to get the affordability, to be able to get, I think, all that stuff in stadiums. So you have you know, consistent data or just data period 
at least to start. So that'll be interesting for me to see how it blows up. Cause I could see it, you know, we're sitting here two, three, four years from now and cricket and baseball are, are very close uh, just because of crickets in a way going roads traveled already. So that'll be interesting for me to watch. And then one other thing I want to touch on before we go, you, so you and I went to Lord's cricket ground in England earlier this year before everything shut down. And I remember we were pointing at a couple of things that just kind of reminded us kind of of what we do with our, our website in some ways, as far as we saw data visits from like a hundred years ago, right? Yeah, that's right. The, the color coded wagon wheels from yeah. some guy I've never heard of century 50 right. years ago or whatever it was. It, it's pretty wild. I mean, it was a mm-hmm. really interesting tour and th- there's basically at the beginning of the tour, there's this room where, uh, you know, they have jerseys and memorabilia and you know all the stuff there and a lot of it is sort of media related and so they had these like printouts and some of it looked like it was even hand-drawn um papers with uh the wagon wheel which is basically like a spray chart in baseball like where all the balls went off the bat (laughs) kind of took us back to this type of stuff doesn't feel like it was happening in american sports 30 40 50 years ago but i guess it was happening in cricket yeah, I guess it was almost the equivalent of that Ted Williams book that has like a heat heat map on the front from, yeah, I forget when he wrote it, kind of retro like that. But I mean, these spray charts or whatever were going so much further back and it's not like they're coming in live. So it wasn't, it was more of a storytelling thing than a an analytics thing, but it was still cool to say. And I appreciate it just as a huge baseball fan who loves the history of that sport. I really enjoyed just being at Lords and soaking in the history you can kind of feel and see as you walk around uh, the stadium and I think it was called the long room uh, right by the end of the pitch and things like that. So that was a lot of fun. All right, that'll wrap things up for this episode of Expected Value. Thanks again to Corey Von Zale of Cricket South Africa for joining us on the show. I hope everyone enjoyed listening and learning about something a little bit different from other sports we talk about more frequently. If you want more on international sports, check out our previous episode with Ben McCreel of Stats Perform. We focus on soccer in that one. We also talk about the state of analytics in cricket and rugby. And while you're digging around the archives, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you use. And if you like what you've heard, please tell a friend, share on social media, etc. You can follow us on Twitter at True Media Sports or me at Paul Carr. Send us feedback there or email us expectedvalue at truemedianetworks.com. For Albert Larcada and all of us at True Media, I'm Paul Carr. Thanks for listening to Expected Value, the podcast that takes you inside the sports analytics world. Mm-hmm.